0: BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with OCR Bunny and OCR Strong. Here we discuss all things OCR
1: and fitness related. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, Mike with BeastNet and I've got Megan back. So Megan, how have you been?
0: Hey, I have been really Um, jet-legged. It's been terrible trying to readjust. Um, I'm typically somebody that like wakes up at five o'clock in the morning. I'm good to go, but then like can't stay awake past nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, you know, sleeping in until 8 a.m. and not falling asleep until midnight. It's really weird.
1: It sounds weird. I yeah. mean, and it's one of those things that is really hard when your schedule gets messed up. I know my my son right now is going through that because his schedule just switched to a, a graveyard shift. Mm hmm. So he's trying to, you know, even on days when he doesn't work, you know, stay up until eight or nine o'clock in the morning and then go to sleep. And it's just so different, you know?
0: Yeah. That's so tough. And especially when you have to be awake when it's dark out Yeah, because our body just naturally says, oh, it's dark. It's time to unwind.
1: Yeah. I had to get him blackout curtains and all sorts of stuff to try and, you know, help block out the sun and all that. So, yeah. But see in your case where, I mean, you were on the other side of the world. So it's getting used to I mean, just when it's light here, it's dark there. So it just kind of messes with your whole the, the timing of your body.
0: Yeah, it was really bad. Um, it took probably a solid week and a half plus, just to kind of start to feel normal. And even now I could sleep all day if I wanted to, which is not like me at all. I get so antsy, I have to get up and move around. And now, you know, if I set my alarm and say, okay, wake up at five 30 at five 30 alarm goes off. And then next thing, you know, I have an alarm at 7.00 AM saying, why are you still asleep?
1: Yeah. Why haven't you got up yet? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's always good to have that. I mean, it's weird how our body adjusts to, you know, certain times and stuff like that. I've never had that big of a change just, you know, the couple hours from going from the West coast to the East coast but or from here to Hawaii. So and that's really about it. But even that's a little different. It kind of messes with your body when you come back. But I mean, that's only two or three hours difference. You were what? What is the difference?
0: Uh, 16 hours.
1: 16 hours. So, wow. Yeah. was so was just the next day.
0: Yeah, it, it actually was the next day. Um, I would always have to do the math in my head. Okay. Um, if I am on a Tuesday... It is now, you know, 8 a.m. on Monday morning, and typically, like, if I'm going to bed in New Zealand, they're about to wake up in the day I was just at back home. So then I was, like, waking up in the middle of the night to, like, make a post on Instagram so it didn't look like I was over there or whatever else, and always having to think, like, okay, I'm making, you know, a Monday post, but it's actually Tuesday, and how is this working out for me? It was totally throwing
1: me off. Wow, that would be insane. Yeah. Huh.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: that would be weird just, you know, yeah. I mean, because like I said, I've always had friends. I mean, like I said, I have friends on the East Coast. I have friends in Hawaii, but never really, you know, except for sometimes when people travel like you were. And, and then you're trying to figure out, okay, what time is it there? You know? Can I call them now or should I wait, you know, kind of thing. So why aren't they answering me? Oh, that's right. Because it's, they're probably asleep. It's the middle of the night, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. I posted for like what global running day and somebody responds. They're like, I was just about to say no global running days tomorrow. And then I realized it is tomorrow in New Zealand. I'm Like, yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it is tomorrow. (sighs)
0: Yeah, it is. So how
1: was New Zealand?
0: New Zealand was absolutely phenomenal. I am obsessed with everything New Zealand now, minus their food. Um, Not that I don't love meat pies. Yeah. But, you know, meat pies, fish and chips. They like a lot of bread on everything. Not quite for me. Um, It also seemed like every single thing I was served while I was over there had some form of like pumpkin squash cucumber combination and I am allergic so it was really tough actually trying to find foods that I could eat Um, but they're really healthy so I understand why they're eating a lot of you know the squash family because it was in the fall um, they were getting ready to go into winter and that is the prime season for all of your squashes and everything else So, um, but the lifestyle in New Zealand is absolutely incredible. Everybody is very active. Um, They have a lot of conservation land where, you know, people go out hiking and um, hunting. Trail running is huge over there, adventure racing. Um, And it's amazing to see they actually have huts out in the wilderness, So whenever you're out hiking, you can book a hut in advance. So you don't actually have to go and bring your, you know, your tent and whatever else you can just pack like a day pack with, you know, a small sleeping bag and reserve a hut. And you can go out for days on end and just, you know, stay out in the bush. And um, it, it was just incredible. Like I said, everybody is very active. The lifestyle is just adventure and activity um it is amazing. quite literally the land of adventure um so I was out <laughs> looking for every little thing possible that I could do and just have every New Zealand experience
1: yeah I saw a lot of your I was following you on Instagram living vicariously because that sounds <laughs> the whole thing sounds amazing I mean it's I don't know we, we forget that not everybody is you know especially like us Americans we're so into our video games and never mm-hmm. like You have to like beat the kid just to get him to go outside and do something. And, you know, other countries aren't that way. I mean, you know, it's like get out and actually adventure, go run, go do all that. I mean, we should be doing that anyway. That's what we're supposed to be doing as humans.
0: 100%. It's funny because when I was getting the camper and getting ready to take off I was like okay well my only real concern is how am I going to get work done and people were like oh don't worry there is wi-fi everywhere you go you don't have to worry about it and I got out on the road and there was really no cell phone service even though I have international through Mm T-Mobile that was terrible and then every time I would pull up anywhere there was no wi-fi and when I did find a spot that I could pull some like free wi-fi it was very limited and like super small amounts. So I couldn't really check my email. I couldn't check up on clients. Um, I know that I had gotten a few messages even from listeners and I apologize right now if I didn't respond. Um, there was absolutely no service anywhere. And as soon as I would check something, then the Wi-Fi would cut out. And I'm like, I actually love this. Like in America, we are so used to connectivity. We have access to, you know, internet cable, whatever we want. And the rest of the world isn't as obsessed with it as we are. And it was so nice to be able to just wake up in the morning, you know, throw on my trail shoes, and go out and just run, I would literally run point to point and explore different places to go sightseeing. And that was how I got my activity. And I actually came home and started, you know, my typical workouts and found I didn't lose any strength. I didn't lose any speed. Uh, My VO2 didn't drop at all. Um, And it was just, I wasn't working out, so to speak. I was just going and living my life and running and hiking and whatever else to go see all of the different sites of New Zealand
1: which is awesome. Like I said, I followed you, you know, on Instagram and wow, well, he has something to say there.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep.
1: But, uh, he, he definitely missed you too. I saw the, the reunion. So, uh, um, yeah, but you know, watching you and, and just all the sights and stuff, there was one, I think I saw one of the videos where you're running along the beach and all the seals and,
0: Oh yeah. You know, stuff.
1: Yeah. It just sounds amazing. And it's just, I so want to go there. I've always, it's one of those places I've always wanted to go. And I get the whole idea of not being connected. Like there's a road here, to go to the Eastern part of the state, you can go two different routes. One of them mm-hmm. is the main I-90, you know, main road. Or there's one called 410 that goes over Shinnock Pass for two hours going that way. You have no cell reception,
2: mm-hmm. you have no
1: internet, you have nothing. And everyone's like, why do you always pick that one? And I'm like, one, it's close to my house. It's a much better view. It's gorgeous. I can pull off and go do trail running off on the side whenever I want, you know, cause there's multiple places to do that. And I have hours where no one can reach me. Yeah, I'm quiet. I don't have my phone constantly buzzing, going off, telling me, "Oh, hey, you, someone sent you this message, or someone, you know, emailed you, or whatever." And it's just quiet and nothing. Mm -hmm. Because even when I run around here, I keep my phone with me because usually, you know, I want to make sure if something happens, I can (laughs) call for help, I can do that, whatever. But I never get that full disconnect, except for like when I go up and over that mountain, nobody can find me.
0: That is so amazing. And yeah, that was quite literally what it was here um, for New Zealand as well. I had no idea where I was going. I just kind of knew what direction I was traveling in and like Mm -hmm. a general idea of where I was going, not necessarily what I was going to do. So it's like, okay. And New Zealand, they have what all of like three highways head towards whichever town I'm going towards this time. And you know, if I see something that I want to pull off and do, I'm going to do it,
1: which is the way it should be. I mean, and, and that's, what's amazing. That's, that's the hardest thing. Cause like when I go on vacation, that's my idea of a vacation. I love the kind of vacation with no planning. Just tell me I have to be in this place at this time and somehow get there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll yeah. figure it out. I, you know, give me like two days to get somewhere that should take three hours to drive to and yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm set and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to goof off. I'm going to find all sorts of crazy shit to do on the way, you know, stuff, hikes, stuff like that. But that is the complete opposite of my wife on vacation. So she's one of those like plans, everything to the minute. And I'm.
2: Yep.
0: Like,
1: she's like, okay, we'll let you plan this day. And then I'm like, cool. And then she's like, so what are we doing that day? I don't know.
0: It's, it's tomorrow.
1: F- don't know.
0: It's funny that you say that. Cause I was definitely like that before New Zealand. And now it's like, oh, well, I am okay with just saying, you know, give myself a little extra time and go see what I can do. That's quite literally how I'm about to drive to Indian Mud Run this weekend.
2: Nice.
0: I was like, yeah, um, I don't really have anybody that I'm traveling with. I don't know where I'm going to stay. Don't know how I'm going to get there. I'm like, you know, I have a truck tent. I'm just going to drive. I'll, you know, it's going to take like 12 hours to get out. So I'll, I'll leave Thursday, you know, I'll pull off on the side of the road somewhere, pitch my tent, sleep overnight, finish up on Friday, get there a little early. I rented a spot right at the venue. Like, let's see what I can do. I'm like, I don't know what way I'm going to take to get there, but all I need really is my truck, my tent. And you know, the little bit of gear that I'm going to be bringing out. So let's do it.
1: Yeah. And those are some of the best ways. I mean, it's one of those things like, uh, So my favorite place I found like in Hawaii, I have been on days where my wife's like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to see the sunset, find a good place. I'm like, well, the sun sets on that side of the island. So let's go that
0: way. Yeah.
1: And then like some of the, like the picture that I have on my, my computer monitor is one that I took from that sunset because I found a random beach out in the middle, like just on the side of the island that had a little island out away from it. That was gorgeous. And it's like, you find some of the best places when you don't have plans.
0: Exactly. And that's what it was like the second to last night in New Zealand. I didn't know where I was going to go, where I was going to stay. I'm like, well, you know, I want to actually see the sunrise in the morning. So I'm just going to go and I'm going to find some place that I can see the sunrise. So I they they're really great in New Zealand. They um, they're very friendly to what's called Freedom Campers. So if you have a self-contained vehicle, you can just kind of park in these lots for self-contained vehicles and it's overnight parking completely free. So they, so I went into the app and I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's this one that's, you know, on a beach and there's a bunch of different beach spots around there. I'm like, I'm just going to go and, you know, go right here. It's right off the highway of where I'm going anyways. And I parked there overnight and you know, 7am, I woke up, I made myself some tea, and I walked down to the beach. And I'm sitting there and all of the locals are coming to uh, run along the beach or walk the beach or whatever else. And as I'm as the sun's coming up, we're seeing dolphins just jumping out of the water. And I'm like, this is exactly why I'm here. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to sit still enjoy the sunrise. And now I'm surrounded by dogs playing on the beach dolphins dancing in the water, like, there is no perfect morning and how many people can really say they were watching the sunrise over the Pacific ocean.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is amazing. I mean, that's so cool to, you know, to do that. And that's one thing that, you know, I've always found is I'm one of those ones I've always been in my Most of my friends crack up because my entire life I was a dispatcher, you know, or an operations manager. I was always in management or dispatching or whatever, which is all about planning. Mm -hmm. they're like, but in your normal life, you live by the seat of your pants and just do whatever you don't plan anything. And I'm like, honestly, because most people don't think about with like dispatching, you're planning, but you're also planning for everything to go wrong. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You're like, okay, this is where I want to be. But I know where I want to go. But I don't necessarily have an exact route of how I'm going to get there. Because I know something's going to come up, there's going to be this is going to change, this is going to change these variables, I don't know about. So for me, it's like, all I need is to know the destination. I'll figure out the route along the way because that's where most of the fun and most of the joy comes into is finding that, you know, you know, cause I see too many people that get so fed up on how I'm going to get there and they have so many plans. And then one little thing changes it. And now everything's ruined.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly how I love to live. Like I, always say, I live my life with organized chaos. I need Mm -hmm. a little bit of an idea of where I'm going and then I'm going to figure it out along the way. And I mean, isn't that what we all are doing in obstacle course racing? You know, we go into everything with a little bit of a plan, but we know that we have to improvise and change things up depending on each situation.
1: And and that's just it. It's like, you know, for, I think we've talked about this before. I don't like looking at a map. Yeah. I don't like looking at the map because I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I know I've done enough of these races. I have an idea of what kind of obstacles are going to be there. So I'll figure it out when I get to it. But, you know, for me, it's like, I know I want to get to the finish line. Whatever you throw in front of me, I'll find a way, a way to, to you know, manage it, you know, and that's just kind of the way, you know, I like to do things. Sometimes yeah. that bites me in the ass, but that's the way I like to do things. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I have definitely been there. <laughs>
1: Cause that, that was the one thing I know you, you were having fun in New Zealand. I did I didn't, uh, had another DNF on a, a triathlon, but that was my own, that was a tough one to get through, honestly. So to have another one. So, so,
0: so kind of just walk me through I'll what walk exactly you through, happened.
1: Most people know what happened, but I've been kind of vague on really what happened. There was a, it, it was, it was a multitude of things. One of them was, we all know I have problems breathing. And my mm-hmm. breathing has been one of my biggest issues within the first, probably hundred yards of the race. Someone literally like swam over me. Oh, like over, not just like bumped me, like literally just kind of went over me and literally shoved me down. So, and it's whatever. I mean, it, it, part of the problem was I'm not a fast swimmer and the way they did it, the Olympic swimmers went first and then the sprint swimmers went right, you know, right after mm-hmm. while I was in the last wave of the Olympic swimmers. And I didn't quite make the turn to get away from the sprint swimmers before they caught up to me. So those fast, really fast first sprint racers just kind of went right through me. Um, And when they did, it just knocked me underwater. I breathed in a little bit of water, came up hacking. So I swam over to one of the kayaks for a minute just to catch my breath. But because of my asthma and everything else, once the breath's gone, I have problems. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of problems trying to get it back. So I finished the swim, kept going, but it took me a lot longer than it should have. Um, when I came out of the water, um, it was first time my wife's ever seen me actually literally look at her and I couldn't even say it. I was just giving her the hand signal of, I need my inhaler, you know? And she's like, I was gray. You could tell that I was having major issues. So I was basically mm-hmm. in the full throes of an asthma attack. And I'm like, I just need my inhaler. Took a couple puffs off the inhaler, ran over to get the bike. And they're looking at me going, you have 35 minutes to get to mile nine. And that's wow. cut off. And I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm going to try I got out, took the second turn of the race. And because I don't look at maps, I didn't know the race route. Oh! When I came around one of the corners to, to an intersection, the, the, the people coming back were coming from a different direction because it was kind of a loop. And this is yeah. where they kind of connected Well, the volunteer wasn't paying attention or whatever, and basically pointed to me to take a turn. I wasn't supposed to. Oh, okay. So I ended up almost two miles off route, found nice. someone who, you know, got to like the next, I saw the next volunteer, which I shouldn't have been there. They're like, you're going the wrong way. I'm like, this is the way they told me to go. I'm like, how do I get back to the route? They're like, I don't know. So I had to turn around and go all the way back to the wrong turn to get back to the route. So now I'm four miles, you know, off. Mm-hmm. And then as I was coming up, there was a huge hill as I was coming up the hill, the, uh, chain started jumping on the bike. So just a whole nother. So, I mean, it was just like one thing after another and come to, you know, find out the bike issue was my own. I I screwed that up. What it was, was I was too cheap to get a bike rack for the car. Okay. So, and I have an SUV, so I just threw it in the back of the SUV. Well, when I did, I laid it on its right side. And when I closed the door, I must've hit it, the tire, because when I took the REI to have it fixed, I'm like, Hey, you know, I spent a lot of money to have you guys adjust this thing, get it all fixed up, replace a bunch of parts. And now that it's skipping. And the guy looked at, he's like, you know, was in looking at it, trying to figure it out. He's like, it looks like it took a hit to the right side. And I'm like, that would have been the side I laid it on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, so when I set it down on the right side, I bent one of the rails.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that's why it was jumping. So it, it came back to my own fault. Would I've made the nine miles after making the wrong turn? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But would I've made it with the the it jumping like it was? Maybe. I mean, it's it's a toss up. Mile, nine miles in thirty five minutes, especially considering it was in that nine miles there was what I think seven hundred feet of elevation gain. So I mean, okay. there was a lot of up on that okay, nine. Yeah. Mile. So it would have been tough. So could I have possibly? but it would have been really tough. So it was my own fault because a couple of miscues that I had that I got to make sure I don't have on the next one. But doing the math, if it would have been the Ironman, I would have had five hours to the first cut. Yeah. And I think I could have made up that time in that 56 miles.
2: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: So that's kind of where my brain went to that. I had a failure, but I know what I did. I know what went wrong. the The swim part is the hard one. I've just got to figure out how to get If I lose the breathing, how do I get it back? And that's the hardest part for me because of the asthma and the other lung issues. Once it's gone, you know, when I'm on the road, when I'm running or on the bike, I can slow down a little bit on the bike, get my breathing back to normal. And it's a lot easier. But when you're in the water trying to, to swim correctly, it's really tough to get that breathing back.
0: So what did you do once you were in the water and you were trying to get your breathing back? What methods did you try?
1: Um, I tried a couple. One of them was to basically breaststroke. So I mm-hmm. could keep my head out of water and try and keep breathing. Um, and then I would flip, flip over to my back occasionally. But I couldn't completely, I couldn't get it back enough that whenever I'd be like, okay, I think I've got it under control. I'd roll over the second I put my face in the water and started paddling again, I, I could get maybe 25 yards before I could I was out of breath again I had to flip back over so and that was my problem I just couldn't I couldn't get back into a rhythm to keep my breathing correct
0: okay and so that, yeah when you were on your back did you try to like first float maybe some backstroke yeah okay I did
1: some backstroke and just kind of you know back because I it was one of those for me I made sure like the whole time I because you only have a certain amount of time. So I have to keep at least yep. moving forward. Yep. So I can't just lay there and, you know, cause I, I did, like I said, when it first happened, I went over to the kayak for a minute, but I can't take too long cause then you're going to run out of time. Yep. So there's still that time hack. So it's kind of, you know, you can take as much as you can till you can almost get it under control. But I think that was my problem is I never took long enough to fully get it. It was just, okay, I think I'm close enough. And then I'd flip mm-hmm. over, start swimming. And then all of a sudden it's all gone again.
0: Okay. So it sounds like we really need to figure out a better plan to problem solve in the event that this happens again. Cause I'm going to take it that this wasn't your only triathlon. You're going to go back out there and you're going to crush next time.
1: Yeah. I've got another one at the end of July. That's a sprint. So it's only 500 meters in the water. Mm -hmm. So instead of the, the, the Olympic is 0.9 miles and the Ironman is 1.2 miles. Right. But the, the sprints only 500 meters. So
0: but there's no saying that this isn't going to happen again, though. No, this could very much happen problem. to every single person, regardless of if it's mm-hmm. a triathlon or it's a Spartan race that has a swim in it. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're out there, people kind of start flailing around and panicking and they're not paying attention to anybody else. No, so it could happen to any single person. So let's kind of just talk about what can we do when we get into those situations?
1: I don't know. That's the hardest part I've had for me. Like I said, when I'm running, if I'm not in water, I know, you know, cause for years, I mean, I've had asthma since I was a baby. I've always had mm-hmm. it. Um, so I've always had those methods where you've been taught how to, you know, control it and try and get the breathing back, you know, and most of them say, stop moving. You know, I've heard both put your arms up or put your hands on your knees. I prefer my hands on my knees, my arms up. I just doesn't work for me, but You know, so I put my hands, you know, try and get the breathing back. But when I'm running or even biking, I know how to slow my movements down enough that I can get my breathing back while still continuing to go forward, Mm -hmm. you know, because I've had to do that on, you know, bike races when I did the Ironman last year, and I had to go 56 miles was a couple times you know, where I had to try and get my breathing back from, you know, really pushing hard to go up a hill. You know, I've done a couple of marathons where the breathing's had issues, and then I was able to bring it back, you know, while still moving forward. But the water is the hard one because it's like most of those methods don't work when your face is in the water.
0: Right. So um <laughs> it's funny because like this is exactly how I felt the first time I did a tough mutter and like I'm terribly claustrophobic. And like, I got into cage crawl and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's literally just try to keep my head up as much as I can and, you know, try not to think about it, even though like the sides of your face are underneath water and just pull yourself across. And it's hard not to give into that hyperventilation. It's like, how can we get big, deep breaths when we're honestly fearing for our lives? Are you know-
1: and I think that might be part of my problem too, is that's one thing I've been trying to figure out is if it is kind of a mental thing where I'm hyperventilating because of the fact I don't like water.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of people, you know, know that. Cause like when I do Spartan races, my worst obstacle, I hate the dunk wall. And that's okay. why I didn't do Tough Mudder for a long time is I don't like going on. I don't, and it sounds bad to say this. If I'm in a pool, I'm fine, but it's like dark water. Mm-hmm. I don't like going, putting my head under dark water. So I think that's part of the problem I'm running into also is I think not only am I having the breathing issues, but I think part of those breathing issues might be coming from anxiety the second I get in that water.
0: And it very well could be. In fact, most people don't draw the correlation between our mental health, our mental status and our breathing, but they are directly related. In fact, meditation it just starts with breathing. The purpose behind meditation at the very basic core is deep breaths. Mm -hmm. Literally just sit down and count your breaths and focus on the quality of your breathing. And then once you get deeper into your meditation game, then you can focus on different aspects of it all. But a guided meditation or whatever type of meditation you want to do, it all starts with just simply breathing, making sure that you are getting full, deep breaths, that you're, you know, diaphragm breathing, you're not chest breathing. And I think by working on our meditation game, our mental health game, we can overcome really any kind of fears, especially one in water.
1: Yeah. And like I said, that's one thing, you know, that some people know. And I mean, like I said, anybody who's been on a Spartan race with me or any of those knows I have problems. Like if I can't see into the water and it's a darker water, I have problems. I think part of it is I'm a horror movie fanatic and I know what's under that water. So. <laughs> Don't know. say
0: that. Cause now I'm going to think that I love horror <laughs> movies so and what? I'm not thinking that.
1: Oh, I am. I am a totally thinking creature from the black lagoon. You know, I've seen enough Jason movies where he pops out of the water, but, Oh my god. <laughs> so and i i don't know if that's it that's just what everyone always says it's all those horror movies you watch i'm like impossibly but you know and that's one of those things is it's just you know when i'm in the pool like i said i can i still have problems breathing in the pool but i can still go like i was at the pool friday um and i was doing you know five five six hundred meters before i had to like you know bring my head up and do like one lap of you know breaststroke so i can get my breath back under control Mm -hmm. But when I'm in the, like a lake, maybe a hundred meters and then I have to pop my head up because I just, you know, and I don't know, like I said, if that's more starts to come into maybe the, the extra, you know, pool isn't as cold as a lake. You know the cold mm-hmm. could be part of it. You know I bought a wetsuit just because this lake was really cold the last I was in it. You know so is it the cold? Is it the the anxiety? Is it the fact that I can't see in the water? So there's so many things in my brain like what is really doing this? You know and that's my biggest problem that I'm having now because on the triathlons the bike no problem I have a really nice bike and you know I can go ride that thing. You know me and Brian a couple of weeks ago did 40 miles because we needed to get a long long. Right in, with no problems. I ran marathons. I ran half marathons. This swim is what kills me.
0: <laughs> okay. So it sounds like we need a little bit more of the mental side of swimming and breathing, as opposed to the physical training, which yeah, our mental training should also be considered physical training because there is a direct correlation, mm-hmm. but, um, Figuring out ways to get the breathing under control and to maintain it, really focusing on that diaphragm breathing to then, once you get into the water, regardless of if you are, you know, breaststroking or, you know, backstroking for crawl, whatever else, you can still be getting the good quality breaths. And then if, yeah, somebody runs into you or decides to dunk you or whatever else, okay. Let's settle the heart rate again and get back to our good, steady, consistent breathing and keep going.
1: Yeah, because that's the other thing I noticed, of course, once your your breathing starts to go out of control, your heart rate shoots up, which makes it, you know, even worse.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that is all correlated as well. Um, The second you start panicking about anything, your heart rate is going to go up. It's all part of your, you know, nervous system.
1: Do you like the beast net? Do you want to keep hearing it? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at BeastNet Pod.
0: So now moving forward, what are you going to add into your training to help prevent this in the future?
1: Sounds like meditation. <laughs> 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 meditation. It does sound like meditation. Yeah. Meditation, <laughs> yeah. And yoga, I mean, probably yoga too is something that I should look into. I mean, I used to years ago... Uh, My wife used to work at 24 Hour Fitness. So I had like free membership. So I'd go to the yoga all the time, but, and it was like a half mile from the house. But then I've quit doing it. I used to love it because it was the only way I stretch. I'm horrible about stretching, but
0: (laughs) most people are.
1: Yeah, I I never stretch. But so doing yoga was like where the only place I got my stretching, but it was one of those things that made my legs feel 100% better and, you know, me feel 100% better. So it's one of those things I need to, I think I need to look back into like even just a self guided yoga have the Mm mass so
0: (laughs) i i definitely do not ever recommend self-guided yoga to any of my clients just because i prefer they have somebody that like can adjust them because you can always be stretching things in the wrong way and then that could then lead to further injury yeah Um, so if you can ever get to a live class i definitely recommend that but um you can definitely do self-guided meditation or even you know, meditation apps, whatever else. So many people are so worried about being alone in their head and, you know, just being with their thoughts that they will not meditate. Or, you know, they make excuses of there's no time or I'm so distracted. And I'll be the first to admit, I cannot meditate at home. I'm not going to meditate anywhere near my work or, you know, near my dog, near any other person, just because I know that the second I go out and try to meditate, then I'm gonna, you know, somebody is gonna need something from me, or I'm going to be distracted by, you know, something else that needs to get done. Most of the time, I won't even bring my phone out with me when I meditate, I'll just like, go out to the beach, sit there, you know, close my eyes, hands on my belly and just count my breaths. And that's really all it has to be to start out. I even recommend that people start in a crocodile position, or if you're unfamiliar with what the crocodile position is, um, you'll be laying on your stomach with your um, hands or your forehead on top of your hands. And you are face down and then you are just focusing on taking deep breaths and your belly pressing into the ground is a biofeedback to tell you that the air is getting into your belly versus into your chest. And you literally just lay down and you count your breath. So as you inhale, that's one. Then nice deep exhale. Inhale again. That's two. Nice deep exhale. And all you have to focus on is the number you're counting. You know, your breaths, they they should be deep and big, but they shouldn't be so big that it's like, oh, I'm so bored now, my mind's going to distract me. It's still happening relatively quick enough Mm -hmm. that you can stay focused. Um, And then from there, you know, you can take it to sitting up or you can focus on different types of breathing. So there's like the Wim Hof breathing that you could always start as well. But even just giving yourself five minutes where you're laying down, counting your breaths, and as your mind does start to wander, or you find that it's completely clear, you can just let your body go and breathe and just stay in that stillness. But after a while, your mind will say, okay, I don't need to count anymore. My breathing is staying consistent, and you're not going to have that wandering mind. And that is the first steps into learning how to meditate and just being one with yourself and being able to centralize that breath back down. So then if you do find yourself, you know, running or swimming or whatever else, you just simply take in that big breath. And again, you count, that's one. And then exhale and then Inhale again, that's two, and exhale. And you can kind of hit that meditative state. That's one of the things I tell my clients when they're really focusing on heart rate control in running, because so many people start out running to run without running with like heart rate guidelines. If you're not used to running in a specific heart rate zone, either you're staying in a gray zone, so like it's kind of high, but Not very high, but it's not quite low enough to give you some benefits, or else you're up in that red zone. And that's where people say, Oh, well, I can't run for very long, or Oh, you know, it always feels like I'm dying when I'm running. Okay, well, let's learn to bring that down a little bit. And what I tell them is, Okay, when it feels like you're getting into that place where you're dying or you need to stop, give a solid exhale. Just, you know, just. deep breath out and then try to get back into that meditative breathing. So, you know, breath in, it doesn't have to be all that big of a breath in, uh, but deep breath out and kind of count a couple breaths and get back into that meditative state, because just by controlling that breath, it's going to pull your heart rate down and get you back under control. And it'll then also settle your mind.
1: You don't have to work on that. <laughs> Like I said, I figured it out, like when I'm running or biking, I know that breath, how to do it, um, to get myself into the spot. Cause there's been times like when I've been running with other people where I know I'm above the level I normally run, but I can keep my breathing at a, a pace where I'm like, okay, this is actually level. I probably should be running. Cause I can keep up with them and keep my breathing in, in line where you hit that comfort zone and you don't want to go above it where you really could. You know, but I figured out if I can keep, keep the breathing under control, and that's always was the hardest part for me when I first started, because you want to run really hard, really fast. Yep. You can only do that for so long before you're like, <sighs> you know, so that's kind of why I've, you know, tried to find those places. And like I said, I ran a lot now, and I've kind of gotten to that point where I understand where I need to, you know, where I need to be to be able to breathe when I'm running. Mm hmm you know, and when I'm biking, it's the swimming where I just haven't been able to. And the hardest part is, is getting swimming. Like right now I joined LA fitness just so I could have their pool. Yeah. Like I sat there when they were, the salesman's like, well, we have this. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want the pool. <laughs> I have most of the other stuff at home. I can go run outside. I can do all this stuff. I just don't have a pool, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, but by getting in there and you know, swimming laps or else giving yourself harder swimming workouts. So not just the long, slow lap swims, but, you know, sprints or whatever Mm. else that is going to increase your heart rate. And then it's going to force you to breathe harder. And you will find that there are times that you're going to go into that fight or flight panic You know, heart rate and breathing zone that you exhibited during the triathlon. And you're going to have to really figure out how to calm yourself again from there.
1: Yeah. And that's been the hardest part. I I mean, I have figured out, I was talking to, uh, because I had, I have a friend who is kind of like coach and she's helped me out uh, with the swimming technique. The Mm -hmm. breathing's been the part that we've been having major issues with. But, like the techniques got down. She says the hardest part right now is just figuring out the breathing issues because she's like, you know, everything else that I do seems right. Except for the fact I don't use my legs, but that's my own issue.
0: (laughs) You kind of need your legs to swim.
1: I have this coordination problem. It's one or the other (laughs) it's either legs or arms. It's just, I can't, I I've always had a problem trying to do them both. So I I can get the legs and that's part of the other problem I run into. I use a lot more upper body because pretty much I'm it's all arms
0: that's like me and rock climbing. I'm all arms.
1: Yeah. My whole swim is on his arms. So, I mean, you know, that's why a lot of people like, wait, you swam the whole thing. Yeah. With just my arms because that's what I do. I mean, that's the only way I can, I'm getting better to where I can almost kind of kick, but even then it's only for a little bit. And then I start getting like my brain's focused so hard on the kicking. I, I start messing up everywhere else. And then
0: I, yeah. Maybe you just need to like get into the water with one of those like boards kicking and focusing on your breath possibly possibly because i didn't
1: say the kicking i and like i said though but if i get on the and and that's the problem if i get on with the board i can kick fine but that's because i'm not using my arms
0: can you breathe while you do it
1: yes because my head's above water
0: (laughs)
2: okay
1: (laughs) but yeah so it's it's like and it's funny because i've scuba dived and, and I have, I got certified scuba diving when I was 16, but then it's like, everyone's like, Oh, well you use your legs. Yeah. Just your legs. Cause your arms just kind of helping you, you push yourself around with your arms, your legs are all you use. Cause you have the fins,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and usually when I scuba dive, I actually swim, do the, the, what they call the, the dolphin kick. So oh, okay. more than just, you know, using my legs. But when I also did it too, is we used my friend's dad was in the Navy in like Korea and so he had the, you know, I mean, by like Korea's and in the Korean war. That's like how old these are, but those were like the fins that he had. So they were the old, like heavy rubber that didn't bend. It was like, you know, the fins were like strapping a two by six to your feet. So like every kick, you got some movement with them, but they really, you know, your legs wore out quick, but it got us strong legs from it. But the other problem I had, I only one of the other, so I've got it. That's the other part with like, you know form i need to figure out is how to start getting my legs because i think with my legs i could move faster and i would be in the water less so it would be even better but i gotta get that figured out too
0: okay so it sounds like you need a lot of the cross-section type of work
1: yeah so i mean Uh, i can swim an hour and do over two thousand yards in an hour with just my arms but my arms are smoked when i'm done
0: Yeah. Just imagine how much more efficient you'll be once you start using your legs with your arms. Yeah, I know. I
1: know. I know. That's what I keep. They keep telling me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's what I tell literally all of my clients that are like, oh, no, I don't need to swing with obstacles. I can just lock off. I'm like, no, just imagine how much more efficient you'll be once you get your hips moving and like you relax your arms. You'll go so much farther for so much longer, and then you're going to come off of it and like your arms aren't even going to be sore. Yeah. Which would be nice. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that's, and it's probably too why I've noticed like over the last, when I've really, since I've been, I swim at least once a week and usually at least an hour or more, at least once a week, sometimes more. And my chest and arms are a lot bigger than they were six months ago.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So. And that's one of the biggest problems I'm having like shirts now, all my, no large shirts fit anymore. Cause they don't fit my chest and my arms. <laughs> so, like, I mean,
0: Oop. you know, sometimes it's really not a bad problem to have if it's all muscle. Yeah. So The,
1: the chest and arms, right. There's a little bit of fat in the stomach, but the chest and arms are getting big for muscles. So.
0: Well, just start kicking your legs more and yeah, that's going to recruit the lower abs. The, and, the
1: core going.
0: So. Yeah. And that's, that's what I need to on. get. I
1: need to get that, you know, the twist movements, which I, you know, I've seen in the, the the plan that you sent me. There was a few twists, but.
0: Yes, there will definitely be a lot of single arm, single leg, a lot of core stability work. Um, I am of the belief that you don't need to do strict, solely strict isolation for the core. There is some isolation, but if you engage, if you train the body to where you need the core in literally everything you do then you're much more functional in life because there you should always have your core engaged regardless. So your body needs to learn how to keep the core engaged whether you're using one arm, two arms, uh, one arm and one leg or you know everything all together. So <laughs> that is the premise behind it and honestly that's obstacle course racing and really any sport in general is you know how well can you play. adapt to everything while you
1: know. Yeah, the core is so function. important.
0: Yeah,
2: that's
1: like one of the things that Brian, one of my the guys I do a lot with, he loves doing uh, on the what the the ball, but it's the half ball, whatever the they call it, the BOSU. He likes to turn it upside down and then stand on it and do uh, squats with weight. Okay. I'm like, that just sucks, but I do it whenever it makes me. But
0: That, that is a little crazy only because there aren't a lot of situations in, in life that you need to yeah. train for where you're standing on a half ball
1: well yeah but it's just in his and a lot of people i think because it's the the core because you have to engage yeah. the core to keep the balance but
0: there's a proprioception whatever. aspect to it there's also been research that suggests it doesn't do as much benefit as they, think it does as they think it does um you're better off you know just getting out of your shoes and trying to do some barefoot training and then if you need to put in a secondary balance component then you can but first learn how to actually work the intrinsic muscles of your feet and ankle without shoes on before throwing in something else.
2: That's
1: that's why I like being able to train at my house because gyms don't like it when you take your shoes off. So
0: some gyms do actually, there's a lot of gyms in Boston that will allow you to train barefoot.
1: It's getting more and more common, but like a lot of like the, the chain ones, like LA fitness, there's strict rules that you're wearing shoes.
0: (laughs) Yep. And that's why I have a pair of barefoot shoes.
1: So, so I do a lot of, but when I'm out in the, the gym at my house, most of the training I do, if I'm running on the treadmill, I wear shoes. The second I, I'm off the treadmill, I'm everything else. I'm shoeless. Yep. So,
0: so and that's how it should be.
1: Yeah. I do most of the stuff with no shoes. Um, yeah. That's just how I like doing it. So
0: yeah, it feels better. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I do not wear shoes unless I absolutely need to.
1: Yeah. That's how I am. I drives so many of my friends, not second. I get anywhere, it's like my wife cracks up when we go to Hawaii. The first thing I do when I get off the airplane, my shoes come off, and they don't come on until I have to put them on. Yep. Yeah, which actually was a bad thing in doing the the Spartan race there a couple of years ago because of that.
2: <laughs> Wait, my, why? Feet,
1: my feet swelled. Oh. I had no shoes on for a week. Like, didn't put shoes on for an entire week, and then I went to go do the Spartan race. And when I went to put my shoes on, my feet had swelled and my shoes didn't fit. Oh. So by nice. the end of the beast, my feet like the next morning. It like took almost my entire first aid kit to like cover all the blisters so that I could go back out for another day. Oh, and I had to wear my everyday walking shoes, not my trail shoes, because they were the only ones that had enough room because my feet were so swollen to get into.
0: Wow, and so. your your trail shoes don't have a little extra wiggle room, or your no. feet were just that swollen.
1: They, no, they, they, at that time they did not my, because my problem I had was I've always had like smaller feet, but I've never really, as you get older, you, people don't think about this, your feet grew. So I kept getting small shoes and I was wearing, and they're a great brand. I loved them, but I had the innovates, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: innovates are very narrow. Yep. And after my foot injury, my left uh, foot yeah. is not narrow anymore. So I have to have wider shoes. So I've gone away from the innovates and gone to what do I have? The ultras, because they Ooh. have a much wider toe box.
0: So you went zero drop. Yeah.
1: So I've got zero drop now. So I've got zero drop with, you know, but I've got the wider shoe and I I've got two pairs of the ultras, um, which I keep hearing they don't make the kings anymore, which is going to suck.
0: They I don't, like this. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, so. um, I just got me. my new pair of Timps, which have a lot more cushion than the kings did, mm. but they're actually surprisingly light and very comfortable. And they have new drainage holes in them.
1: I have to look at those though. So, yeah, I um, I've got two yeah. pairs of the kings that are now each one's a year old, the other's a year and a half. Okay. And I've been on a few old, you know, and they're going to, after this weekend, I know one pair is probably going to be done after this weekend because I've got a 24 hour event this weekend that starts Saturday and it's trail running till Sunday morning and see how many, how many miles you can get in 24 hours.
0: How many pairs of shoes are you bringing for that? Two. Okay, good.
1: Two pairs of shoes and about eight pairs of socks.
0: The last 24 hour race I did, I wore a pair of Kings that were over a year old and I didn't realize that my wear pattern had changed slightly since the last time I had had worn them. I got like 12 miles in and I started to feel my IT band. I changed into my superiors, which you shouldn't wear over 10 miles um, and that didn't help. And then I changed into my temps, which meant I was able to get to 50 miles before I had to tap out and be like, nope, yeah. not happening. I needed, to, I managed to get two pairs of King MTs off the Spartan website because they still had women's sizes. I don't know if they do anymore, but then I also replaced my Timps. So my Timps are my higher mileage shoe now. Mm-hmm. And I, I love them. I think they're really great for obstacle course racing. And the newest model, um, it, I just went out on like nine miles last weekend with them and they felt great. So even for a little lower mileage, they still can give you some speed.
1: i have to look at those ones. Cause yeah, I like the ultras, but I've, you know, I've got two pairs, but I know one pair is starting is almost done
0: mm-hmm. is,
1: is going to be done. So, because that's been the night, cause I usually have two pairs cause I do a lot of the two day events, Yep. you know, and when I do events like this weekend, that's a 24 hour event. I want to be able to, I know at some point I'm going to need to switch. Yeah. You know, just to like get out of the one pair, you know, just because if you've done these, you understand that. Yeah. You sometimes have to switch into another pair. Oh, definitely. I'll probably probably even have my normal, like running shoes, like road shoes with me just in case, you Mm -hmm. know, I start having problems. I can put those on because they're, I mean, they're trails, but there shouldn't be a whole lot of mud. Yep. So, and I have, there is one trail though, that I'm waiting for the email because one of the trails that we normally use might be blocked because of it's still snow up there. So oh. But but I have spikes and I have the, you know, the poles. So we'll see.
0: Okay, good.
1: So I mean last year we did it. It was doing a hundred and sixteen degree heat wave, which made things very interesting. Wow. Somebody may have gotten heat stroke, but may have continued on anyway. But as <laughs> <laughs> I say, not as I do. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, yeah. This year I, I made sure I have two different forms of ways to get water from the streams, you know, and, uh, Good. last year I, I, I probably did get really close to heat stroke, but I climbed into a, a stream, cooled my body down, then went back to camp and I didn't go out for six hours while I cooled my body and drank as much water as I could. And then went back out at night. But Do you
0: carry a bandana or anything with you?
1: I have uh usually what I take. And what's funny is like when we got all the what are they, the 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 gators that you yep, use for yep. masks? Before yep. even COVID started, I had a bunch of those because what I do is I'll soak them in water, yep, and then I put them in the freezer the day before so that yep. they're in, they're soaked and frozen and in my bag, and I can pull them out and just just put them over and they cool me down. So
0: exactly, yeah. and actually, when I started racing, one of the things that I read like, um. Was to always have a bandana on your head. So in the event that it is getting really hot out, you pour water on yourself, that bandana will hold yep. um, the water a lot longer than even just your hair or whatever else. So it'll cool you down for longer. Yeah.
1: So I, that's what I had the gators for, because then I could, you know, cover my whole head basically.
0: Yep. Yeah. So,
1: but yeah, so last year I got a 36 miles, I think. in oh, good hours, job. And like okay. 7,000 feet of elevation. Woof. Cause it's, it's on a hill. I mean, it's on Mount Rainier. We're out like on the, right, you know, right. out in the mountains. But I mean, some of the pictures I have like four in the morning hitting the, you know, top of a, you know, one of the, the hills and just being able to see everything in the night sky was amazing. So it's an amazing event, but you know, it's up here. What tw- it's the Sisu Pacific Northwest oh. 24 hour. So, okay. But I'm by Tony Matisi. and Tony is, yeah.
0: Nice. He
1: used to be Spartan endurance years okay. ago. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fun event. It's a blast. So that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. I'm going to, it's going to be interesting. So,
0: Oh, that sounds like so much fun.
1: And it's only supposed to be 80 this year instead of 116. So joy, so much better.
0: (laughs) I I get to go out to Indian mud run for their final year. And, um, it's supposed to get into the nineties and I have not endured 90 degree weather yet. I'm still coming off of the winter of New Zealand. So this is going to be miserable
1: is always so funny because most people forget that that when it's summer up here it's winter down there yeah so but yeah that'll be interesting so 90 degrees so and now the indian mud run isn't it didn't i hear that it is the last year but it's still going to continue just under a new name
0: so um it's I, i've heard a couple of different things i've heard from sid um, morris from battle of the lions and he said that they're In talks to try and put on an event still at Lake Park in Coshocton, maybe a couple of uh, brands are coming together to try and put something on. Um, And it would be like a rebranding, maybe like a pseudo championship type of race or something. Hmm. Um, Just like a middle of the summer kind of event with a few other race brands. It would not be Indian Mud Run. I don't know if they would um, still have some of the signature Indian mud run obstacles. I would hope they were. Uh-huh. Um, I, I have to believe that Hubie would still have some kind of hand in it. Cause yeah. the town of Kishokton is very supportive of Indian mud run. Um, they are very appreciative. Anytime we come into town, we tell them what we're there for, you know, they thank us. They love to have us there. They use, you know ROTC for volunteers, they, the entire town comes out to support it, and that's going to be a huge loss if it yeah. just completely goes away. And I, I don't think Hubie would be able to just completely let it go. But I know yeah. that it, it is a big undertaking for them. Him and his daughter run it, and I mean, I've you had can only on do it for so opera. long.
1: Yeah, I've had him before and talked to him and he sounds like a great guy with some amazing mm-hmm. ideas. And that's why when I heard that this was gonna be the last year, I was sad to hear that. And I really wish I could get out there. But you know, that's the part that sucks about living on the West Coast. There's a lot of really good races over there that I never get to go to. So yep. I'm I'm hoping that Hubie somehow finds a way to because like I said, when I talk I sound like <laughs> with a lot of volunteers from the, you know, the the city and help, but still yep. I mean it's just like him and his daughter trying to do this whole thing. So exactly seems crazy.
0: And, you know, of everything that Indian Mud Run does, I think the best parts about it is like you don't get the same kind of atmosphere in this community outside of Indian Mud Run. You know, you go out there and their obstacles are so challenging. You have people standing there cheering you on. They It doesn't matter who you are. If you're, you know, in their division or whatever else, everybody wants to see you succeed. I've had people... You know, taping up my hands, letting me cry on their shoulder, they're giving me tips, you know, whatever you need when you are out there, somebody is there for you to help you, they're cheering you on. That's um, so cool. And like, yeah, we get some of that at like an OCRWC, but it's not to the same extent. There's still a little bit of a competitiveness there where at Indian Mud Run, you do not feel that competitive vibe. Yeah. Um and then they also have the best system for pseudo-mandatory obstacle completion, especially in a sport that's so young where we're seeing, you know, a lot of races that they want to keep getting more and more difficult, mm-hmm. but they realize that there is the possibility that people are going to fail. And how do you keep the integrity of a race in the event that ev- you know people fail one obstacle or whatever else yeah. so their ranking system by far is the best thing in obstacle course racing enforcement mm-hmm. and i don't want to see this die with the brand
1: yeah and that's you know i, I know we've talked about that before with the whole idea of math you know you know obstacle completion or you know having you know mandatory obstacle or have you know the other options you know mm-hmm. and i'm of the belief like i i pointed I like the mandatory.
0: Yep. And I do too. But you look at something like back in what's Savage in Charlotte a couple weeks ago, they had two women that beat the rig. So ultimately, they weren't able to fill even a full podium. And I could be wrong. I mean, I was, I was literally on a plane home from New Zealand when this happened. So um, I'm fairly certain what I saw on Instagram Was only two people or two females beat the rig? And then from there, how would you determine that third spot? And then how would you determine all of the age group group spots? If, you know, somebody goes in with the expectation of I'm going to fail this obstacle, who's to say that they're going to sit and fight for it? And who's to say that they're going to fight for every other obstacle? Whereas at Indian Mud Run, I remember I got stuck at an obstacle my first year. I was in tears. I'm like, I'm not giving up my band. Somebody said, hey, you only have one fail. You have 30 minutes to make it a mile and a half to the finish line. You have to go. You can fail up to five obstacles. You This would be your only one, go. And I was crying my eyes out and I took off running and I finished fifth of like 12 women, all because I only had one fail, even though my finishing time was like the cutoff but the people that decided or that couldn't be two three four obstacles they were ranked below me even though they crossed that finish line well before me and i think that is how this sport should be you look at what happened just in the european championships a couple weeks ago where you were given i think it's like three wristbands so you can fail two obstacles but as long as you finish with one band you are considered a finisher so they could fail two obstacles to be on the podium but if you failed that third obstacle and you lost that band okay now you are a non-complete finisher yeah so at least they're seeing that you know this is a viable option Mm there we can't always expect that you know, we can fill a podium or whatever else with people that can beat every single obstacle and failing one obstacle shouldn't completely knock you out of a race no. in the event that the diff- the difficulty is so high. Um, so
1: it's just one of those things. Cause I know we've talked about it, Cause one of the big ones that I have, like, you know, you know, not to pick on Spartan, but for Spartan, for, for example, you can just skip the obstacle into the burpees. Yeah. Um, on most of them. And I've watched watch guys that know they can't do it. So they're just like, Oh, I'm just going to do the burpees and off I go. Cause they know their speed will work. But if you gave them that option of like, okay, here you can literally basically here's two bands. You are three bands. You have to come back with one, at least one. I mean, that might change someone's mindset.
0: Yeah. I mean, so many men touch and go on the tire flip. And I know that's been a huge one where people have said you should have to flip the tire Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can really separate the guys who strength train versus the guys that don't um, based on how much they attempt the tire flip. I know that there are situations where not everybody's going to get it every single time, but seeing them at least attempt. um, shows that they are prepared for it and they, their plan is to actually tackle this. They don't want to have to burpee out.
1: Yeah, so just trying to change the mindset. But I mean, I, it would be one of those ones that I mean, if they had the option of, they could skip a couple, but then yep. it takes away. And I think that would take would make people want to train harder. So okay, you can skip these, but for every you know one you don't come back with, you also have like a forty five second penalty. Yeah. Or a minute penalty, and then it's like, oh well, that you know, that kind of changes things because you know. I mean, a minute penalty, it's going to take me longer than that and do 30 burpees, but still, you know, you know, right. whatever the, you know, whatever right. penalty you want to throw in there, but you know, that kind of thing. So there's ways around it. So,
0: and it would be interesting, especially with this whole Olympics thing. Cause I know I talked to somebody at Spartan back when I started working, uh or writing for them and their initial proposal for the Olympics was something, you know, where, if you fail an obstacle, there would be a time penalty, whether, you know, you sit in a penalty box for X amount of time. And then once your penalty is up, you go, or just tack it on at the end. Um, And maybe that could be more appealing to an international non OCR crowd, like an Olympic crowd. If Instead of saying, go do this penalty. It's like, okay, well, you are going to have a time penalty. You cannot move for this amount of time because then you're factoring in, okay, their muscles are cooling off a little bit or whatever else. So
1: yeah, because yeah, technically still doing the burpees are like, they've got the the loops now. Yep. You're still moving. Your body's still moving. Your muscles are still moving. And really that is, you know, almost a worst penalty would be like, okay, take the same amount of time. It would take you to do those 30 burpees, but you just got to go sit there on that bench.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that would be a good one. So we'll see. Let's do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, like I said, I have so many ideas when it comes to OCR. I could talk all day about it. Clearly. We love it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: We love the sport and I want to see it get better. It's one of those things because I've been I've been the person who was totally wrecked and, you know, didn't complete all the obstacles because I was just toast, you know, like, you know, but San Antonio this year, I did a lot of burpees in San Antonio this year. Yeah. But, um, that's also because it was, what did they call it? It was the, uh, they called it the ultra super.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. And where they had the loops,
1: the two loops. Um, that was brutal because you went through and you did all the obstacles and, you know, of course, Spartan there, it's our upper body heavy obstacles. So I think the first time around, I think I failed one obstacle. Oh, okay. On the second time around, I think I failed six. Wow! Because it was just it got to that point that you know once you failed one, then I had to do the burpees. Yep. You know, and then I my arms are getting tired, so I failed another one. Then I had to do more burpees. Like I had problems when I came to uh, uh, bender, where when I first reached up, like my hand wouldn't even like wrap around the bar. Oh wow! Because I was just wiped out, but you know, and it took me. But I, I kind of, you know, I had to like sit there and like massage my hands to get them to even freaking want to work right, so I could do go over bender. Because I'm like, I'm not burping out a bender, but mm-hmm. you know, but there was a lot of the other ones, ones that I could do every day in day out. But by the end of the race, like I couldn't even do the rope climb. My wow. whole body was just wrecked. But everyone's like, oh, so that was horrible. You'd never do it again. I'm like, no, I really hope they do the exact same thing next year. Yeah. <laughs> it was a challenge. It was the first time in a long time that like a super totally destroyed me and totally challenged me.
0: Oh, I completely understand. I was at the big bear sprint when they had such terrible weather. It was like really hot one day. And then it was like sleeting and snowing the next day. And they put the sprint just at the base of the mountain. And it was like a mountain series race. And we're like, we're not even going up the mountain, but they, it was like 30 degree weather. You know, there was sleet and hail and snow and they made us go through that dunk wall twice and having to go through an entire you know mile and a half two mile loop a second time after you're soaking wet in you know freezing weather like that changes everything for you I think I definitely failed a few obstacles that I'm not used to failing and it was strictly because I was so unfamiliar with you know soaking wet in cold temperatures yeah like the wind was harsh and that you know we could sit here and make excuses all day we just don't see that kind of race in you know a sprint and super distance if we're out on an ultra we are you know preparing for everything we're not getting slammed with all of these obstacles back to back to back and then have to turn around and do it all over again
1: Yeah. Which is, you know, and it's a different challenge. And that's one of the things Mm -hmm. I love about some of the places like going to different locations, because you do get those different challenges. It's like, you know, when they used to have the Spartans up here, you know, one in April and one in, you know, September. Yep. And it used to crack me up because if you did the one in April, the super would take you longer than the beast in September.
0: Yeah. That's why I don't go back to Seattle because I did the April uh, super. because
1: It was cold. (laughs) It was wet. And I had so many people like they need to move it. They need I'm like, In all reality, I know it's not a popular opinion, but that's what made the April one so good was it was a completely different, uh, like obstacle, different challenge that we never got. You're just destroyed because you're cold, you're wet, but you're still having to move. You know, you're trying to keep moving so you can keep warm. I mean, it changes everything, which we don't get that with most of them. You know, Mm -hmm. most of the ones I've done, like Hawaii, you might be wet, but it's still warm. Mm -hmm. you know and then in September everything was dry you'd go through the same course dry completely you know the places where you were like hip deep in water there's nothing it's dry yeah and it's just you know it's so so different but you know yeah yeah I mean that's where I should have learned how to swim was that April race
0: (laughs) well that that April race taught me how to dress for um cold and rainy spartan races and don't wear sleeves unless you are in some kind of waterproof anything do wear as little clothing as you can stomach
1: yeah for me the one that i that what i found the best is i have a legend born jersey Mm -hmm. and it works great like i've worn it in the heat i've worn it in the cold and either one works so yeah but you, you got to find the right shirt to wear, because if it's a, if you're wearing one that's cotton, it's going to soak up the water. There's going to be problems, you know, but then the other ones are going to be cold. So it's like find that one shirt that works.
0: Yep. I wore running sleeves. And as soon as they got wet and the wind started hitting it, um, it it dropped my body temperature so quickly. Um, I, I was shivering, you know, pre hypothermic. The second I came off that course, my friend threw his dry robe around me got me to his car. And I just sat in the car, shivering my entire way back to Seattle. Yeah,
1: That's why I I love the dry robes. So yeah,
0: same. They're the best. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, we've gone over the hour mark.
0: (laughs) We
2: always do. do. We're
1: not that far over this time, but no, so we definitely need to do this more. I love talking to you. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm, I know you're going to, You're definitely, you know, a great help to me to be able to, you know, try and do this stuff better because.
0: Well, I am happy to be. Yes. Now let's just get you actually making time and meditating.
1: Yeah. I got to work on the meditation.
0: (laughs) Don't think of it as meditation. Just think about it as breathing. I just need to go and breathe.
1: Yeah. Which I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, it sounds bad. Most time where it probably end up is like when I'm driving, like not when I'm driving, like stopping somewhere. Yep. Cause I spend a lot of time in the car for work. So okay, so a lot of time I could stop, pull off somewhere at a park and just go relax.
0: Yeah. If so. you get somewhere early, just go, you know, find a place to sit down and give yourself a couple minutes of literally just counting your breath.
1: Yeah. Cause, cause at home it gets too hectic and then I like to keep, and it sounds bad. I like the chaos. So I keep myself. Yep. busy. So yeah, between like the running, everything else, I also do comedy and all that stuff. So I get all busy. So
0: Hey, I'm the exact same way. Like I said, I cannot meditate at home. I'm not gonna meditate around anybody. Uh just let me go find a beach somewhere that I can sit by myself and focus.
1: Sit and sit and focus. That's the best part. So
0: mm-hmm. all right.
1: Well, perfect. Thank you for, for talking to me again as usual. So. Thank
0: you. Good um, luck this weekend.
1: Thank you. It's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to hear about team. it.
1: So I got a good team. Um we, it's the same team I had last year. And last year, we, we went into this completely blind. We're like, someone handed us the entry and said, here, go do this. And we're like, okay. Um, <laughs> no idea really what it was. So this year, we're a little bit more prepared, but good. it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good team.
0: So good. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you again. And I will talk to you soon.
0: Yes, definitely. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast.